You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley. SAB, the CV. Copyright 2024. Proximo. Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. This is the Dan Levator Show with the Stugats Podcast. That's right, the Oscars, live from the stained carpet. Myself, Adnan Burke, David Sampson, and Ben Lyons, my old buddy. We covered the Oscars twice together. We were working for the Academy, Ben. This time we're working for Metal Arc Media, how far we've come. Uh, but this is going to be awesome. The three of us just yapping away, talking about the Oscars, why we love it so much, and having, of course, all the great guests from the shipping container and from Metal Arc Media. David, I'll start with you. Why do the Oscars still matter? For all the naysayers, the skeptics out there who laugh at people like you and me and Ben, why does it still matter? Because movies still matter. The magic of movies, it still exists. How far we've come from reviewing a movie every week when I was president of the Marlins on Dan's land radio show in Miami, and then to nothing personal where I review a movie every day. I haven't missed an Oscar telecast, wait for it, since 1986, <laughs> straight through, including when I've been traveling and they've started at 2 a.m. local time, I will still watch it no matter what country I'm in. And the reason why it matters to me is that movies are the life that I want. They're the life that I thought it can be. There's When you see love on the screen or you see passion or you learn a story that you didn't know, it's what I think is real, what I want to be real. That's why I take movies and then the Oscars so seriously. Platoon winning Best Picture way back in 1986. That was a great year for Oliver Stone. Ben, of course, you <laughs> used to work for E! News. Of course, you've covered the Oscars many a time on the red carpet. This is going to be a unique way, though. You're going to be producing me and David and also chiming in here and there. While the Oscars still matter to a guy like you. Well, like David, I grew up loving the Academy Awards and have had the privilege, as you mentioned professionally, to be able to cover it from every angle, I've been backstage, I've been across the street on a rooftop, I've been with you in the, the depths of the Kodak Theater uh, where the, uh, the winners would come in the backstage room and you could see how excited and overwhelmed they are from that moment. But this will be a first time covering the Oscars in Miami. So definitely <laughs> looking forward to putting on the tuxedo. I might have a linen tux in the collection. I know yes. it gets a little balmy down there. Um, but the Oscars matter because this is how you can get a large audience around the world to care about films that don't have, you know, uh, Tyrese going to space. I mean, God bless the Fast and Furious franchise, but now that, that he's gone to space, I don't know how much more left in the story there is in that, in that saga. So this is how a film about 
a, a history professor at a boarding school in the 1970s and about his relationship with one of his students that will deeply move you, the holdovers. This is how it gets people talking about it and people excited about it and want to give it a chance. And when you open yourself up to film, as David said, said you open it up to a, a life bigger than the one you live and to hope and to parts of your heart you don't even know exist. So I think the Oscars celebrates all facets of cinema. They've done a wonderful job at the Academy the last few years, making some serious changes where now you have a, a really nice mix of films represented from interna international cinema, uh, from period pieces to modern stories. I think they've done a nice job uh, of staying relevant while also honoring the, the, the nostalgia and the timelessness of Oscar night that we all love. And I think we can all agree this was a massive year for movies because you have blockbusters like Barbie and obviously Oppenheimer, which is going to be an absolute juggernaut on Oscar night. We're going to give our predictions, of course, on the actual Oscars telecast, and we'll be keeping track throughout the night for bragging rights. But that could win eight Academy Awards, which would be the most in Slumdog Millionaire. It's going to be a great night for Christopher Nolan. He's probably going to finally win his first Best Director Award. But I think for me, fellas, it's not only celebrating films, celebrating what cinema can do for all of us, generating empathy for those types of characters that you mentioned, like in the holdovers, but I think it's really about the speeches. It's about the pageantry. It's about those great moments and those moments, like, just like the movies, those speeches can inspire us and make us think what we would do with our own Oscar speeches. So speaking of, David, the guy that, of course, we're rooting for hard is Paul Giamatti. I know Ben loved the holdovers as well. I, I don't, I, listen, I'm concerned whether or not he's going to win because Killian Murphy, of course, just won the SAG Award, the Screen Actors Guild Award. There is precedent, by the way. Chadwick Boseman won the SAG Award. Then Anthony Hopkins won the Academy Award for the father. So it's not like it always lines up correctly, but generally the actor's branch is the largest part of the Academy. And generally, if you win the SAG, you do win the Academy Award. Having said that, you and me know Giamatti's got a better than a puncher's chance of winning. If it's not Killian Murphy, it is going to be PG. Let's talk about our boy Giamatti. You just blew over one of the most iconic moments in Oscar history. The year that Anthony Hopkins won for The Father, they changed the order to have Best Actor announced as the last award of the night when it's always Best Picture yeah. because Chad, Chadwick Boseman had passed away tragically and he was expected to win a posthumous Oscar first since Heath Ledger, I assume. Yeah. So they go to the announcement of Best Actor. Everyone's ready. And the winner and the award, go, the Oscar goes to... Anthony Hopkins, the room goes silent. And it was such an interesting moment because this is not about buying your way to an award. It's not about payola. This is really when the branches of the Academy are giving the greatest award that changes careers and hopefully it gets people to watch movies. If one more person watched Anthony Hopkins in that movie because he won, that's a success because that was great. But you right. blew over that. And, and as what you know, Hopkins, was. Hopkins wasn't there. He was, he was fast asleep in Wales, woke up the next morning. Hey, thanks for my second Oscar. That was great. <laughs> so one of the things that I, that I would tell you that I'm excited about for Best Actor is there have been years recently where there have not been really tight races, where it, was, it would be hard in your Oscar pool to get any of the big categories wrong. This year, I believe that Best Supporting Actress is a done deal. Yeah. Whether or not it's going to happen, we'll wait to see, but I do believe it is. But best actress, best actor are both completely up in the air. You've got Killian Jacobs going against Paul Giamatti. Hey, Murphy, yeah. Uh, Killian, do you know who that is? We no, can't edit middle, re middle reliever from the 90s? <laughs> yeah, or somebody you drafted way back in the day. No, <laughs> it's the actress from 
She was in love. One of my favorite TV shows with Judd Apatow. Thank oh, you. I love Apatow. No. Killian Murphy going against Paul Giamatti. And then you've got Emma Stone against Lily Gladstone. And the question is, which way will the Academy go? I can't wait to hear which way you guys are going, because yeah. I do not think that we will be in agreement on these categories. Yeah, and it's and a don't count point. out a net bending too. Don't count out yes. a net bending sports cinema and, and really a culmination of a great Hollywood career. Oftentimes the Oscars do feel like they're on back order, and sometimes people win for historically what what might be deemed the wrong role or the wrong performance. The Revenant. Yeah. Uh, although, oh come on, the first ten minutes of that movie <laughs> when Leo's swallowing bullets, it just lets you know the guy got uh, inside of a bear. I mean, they, yeah. you on. fight a bear, you win an Oscar. That's the way the Academy works. Yeah. It used to be um, you have to play a special <laughs> if you play a special needs person, yeah. like Dustin Hoff. Remember they they made fun of that in Tropic Thunder. I don't think that that Annette Bening has a chance, and I love Annette Bening. I've loved her since Bugsy. Wow. I've loved her in everything. Uh, I do not believe that she has absolutely any chance of winning the Oscar. But back to Giamatti, I was with you, Adnan, at the critics. We thought, okay, maybe maybe he's got some some momentum here. And then when you win at the SAG Awards for, you know, you often go on to winning at Oscar, but when you win playing a real-life person, you think Farce Whitaker is Idi Amin, Charlize yeah. and Monster, Jamie Foxx and Ray. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, you go on to win at the Academy Awards. That's kind of a tried-and-true formula for me. So I, I think that one might be all but done. Yeah, it's checking all the boxes. He won the BAFTA, of course, as well, the British Academy Awards. And because of the film, everyone has seen Oppenheimer. And as I said, it's going to be this tidal wave of momentum, potentially winning eight Oscars. That's obviously going to help Killian Murphy, who's so immersive in the movie. I did want to touch on supporting actress, Ben, because I'm with David. It feels like it's a juggernaut, Dave Vine, Joy Randolph. But you can tell the story when your dad, Jeffrey Lyons, the famed film critic, he was the one guy that got it right, Marissa Tomei, my cousin Vinny. The one guy, the one guy. And years later, I would interview her for The Wrestler. She's always like, please tell your father, thank you. He was the only person who was crazy enough to think I would win. And uh, and she did. And the supporting categories have long had a history of upsets or surprising uh, winners. You think of Jack Palance doing push-ups on that Oscar stage. You think of Show Me the Money, Cuba Gooding Jr., Rod Tidwell. You think about the year that uh, you know, obviously Jennifer Hudson was the first time that was kind of a coronation, but everybody thought Eddie Murphy was going to win. And yeah. he famously walked out of the theater. Alan Arkin won that year for Little Miss Sunshine. Mark Rylance was a surprise. So yes. you have kind of curveballs in the supporting categories. I don't think Jodie Foster will upset Divine Joy Randolph. I don't think that America Ferrera will get will will win for Barbie. Um, although I'm happy she's nominated. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely a, a year where it feels like the supporting categories are more of a lock than, as David mentioned, the leads. Yeah, I think that's an important point that it that you can't have all four categories up in the air. And I think this year the supporting actor, and I actually don't think that Robert Downey Jr. deserves the Oscar I'm in the supporting it. category at all. Too many strong performances. I would take De Niro, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Adnan. Yes, I would take. <laughs> you're with Adnan. You know how to play the hits. This that's is why it's doing. a problem, though. The true winner for me would be Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things, yeah. who is absolutely outstanding. But I think you will have locked and loaded and supporting and then actor and actress is where you could get the surprise. I'm also a huge Ruffalo fan. I like the fact that Ben mentioned Mark Rylance because that year Ruffalo was up for spotlight. And I remember when they said Mark and I go, oh my God, Ruffalo, Mark Rylance, what? Bridges spies out of nowhere. And uh, it definitely was a memorable moment. And Rylance is great in Bridges spies. He's the best part of that movie. But I did wish Ruffalo had won before. And Poor Things is obviously fantastic. Um, 
best actress, like, like David said, Ben, I, I'm with him. I, Lily Gladstone, I thought, had some momentum. They both win the Golden Globes. Would be a historic winner, obviously. First ever Native Actress nominee for an Academy Award. But Emma Stone wins a Critics' Choice where we were. She wins the BAFTA. Lily wasn't even nominated for a BAFTA. But then Lily wins the SAG. So I, I, I'm with David, Ben. I think this is a real toss-up with Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone. And then early in the run, early in the season, everybody was like, yeah, Bradley Cooper is amazing and maestro, but Carrie Mulligan's going to win the Oscar. So right? I feel like there was some early momentum for her. She yeah. seems to have fallen out of the race. Uh, I would love to see Emma Stone win for Poor Things. You know how much I love her in that film and that performance and where she's at in her career. Um, really just uh, making amazing choices. She's year in and year out. I think it's her eighth nomination, seventh nomination or something ridiculous yeah. uh, for an actress. Uh, um, and and, and I, I think she's wonderful and poor things. But I'm with you. I think Lily Gladstone wins the Academy Awards, the recognition that Killers of the Flower Moon deserves because I think it's going to get overlooked in some of the other uh, categories in which it was nominated. Leo was overlooked, of course, for lead actor. I don't know if this comes in. This is your world, David where if this, the platform and the distri distribution behind the movie maybe impacted its Oscar chances. Uh, I know it's nominated a bunch for, for uh, you know, for a couple technical categories and creative categories, but coming out as an Apple release, you think it plays any role in how people view Killers of the Fire Moon? So it used to, and, and some people will argue maybe that's what happened with The Irishman when it was a, a Netflix release, but I, I don't believe that's the case anymore. I think that you're seeing absolute equivalency where now, whether it's released to Apple, whether it's a big studio release, I don't think people actually discern anymore. It used to be, do you remember when something would go straight to video? That's because it couldn't get a distributor. They couldn't find yeah. a screen. It was the worst thing you could ever say is this went straight to video. <laughs> but now that is the best thing you can say. So we'll wait to see. It's going to be a hell of a time live from the stained carpet. And I'm so happy to be doing it with both of you. It's going to be a blast, man. Honestly, make sure you check out me, David, and Ben. And it's going to be an awesome time. And honestly, um, you mentioned Nyad and that betting. Maybe we'll get Dan Lebitard to be the Diane Nyad of our production. Maybe we'll put him in the pool and see if he can swim <laughs> to Cuba. We'll, we'll give it a shot. Live from the stained carpet. We'll see you then. Stuck out here for my friends over at Simply Safe. When you travel, do concerns back home nag you? Did you lock up? Did you leave a window open? That's why I recommend investing in Simply Safe Home Security today for award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. I've had Simply Safe in my home for many years now. The peace of mind it gives me, especially during the summertime when I'm all over the place, is incredible because I know the things I care about, the things I value back home. I can always keep an eye on it using Simply Safe's indoor and outdoor cameras. So do me a favor. Before you head out on your next vacation, make sure to protect your whole home with Simply Safe's variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, plus add sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day, no contracts to worry about, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. So right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash DLB. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Don Lebatard. David Sampson, weirdo. Because he was not he was not the fun substitute teacher who'd wheel out a TV and play a VHS tape of Armageddon in science class. He was the, the weird one who would eat an egg salad sandwich while clipping his toenails into the trash can and ranting about Ronald Reagan. Stugatz. And the guy kept talking about how his ass was smooth. Smoother than a newborn's cheek. He wouldn't stop bragging about his bare buttocks to me. This is the 
Dan Lebatar Show with the Stugats. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the MMA Hangout. That right there is MMA Junkies Danny Segura, who is boots on the ground in Mexico, in Mexico City. Danny, what's up? First of all, what's up, bro? Second of all, how were the fights? How's Mexico City? How's life treating you? You're going to be there for like another five weeks, I heard. Uh, yeah, almost. No, <laughs> just a week. You know, I can't get enough of the city. The city is dope. It's awesome. There's so much to do. I'm already like probably like 100 tacos in. Nice. Uh, a fair bit of mezcal and uh, a good amount of fights as well. A good amount of chingazos. So uh, <laughs> life is great, man. Can't complain. The card was pretty good and got one more week in this beautiful city. So everything's good. How is the vibe in the arena? Because obviously this is a very big place that just opened the UFC PI in Mexico City. Like this is a very big hotbed for fighting and it feels like the mma is overrun now with hispanic fighters with mexican fighters like this is a big deal for mexico so how was the energy inside the arena yeah it was crazy i mean i took out video you can check it out on my twitter cheap plug at danny segura tv ah. literally second fight in the prelims and and, and you've been to these yes. events bro the prelims people are just starting to get there you get the hardcores and then by the time the main card starts that's when the arena is like really full uh this wasn't the case you got you were two fights in and the arena was pretty much packed it was twenty thousand people there Oof. uh and it was crazy it was crazy from the very beginning people were super hyped we're yelling we're going crazy because there was so much young mexican talent from the very start that is popular here in mexico that everybody got there early to to witness it so Man, uh, one of the best crowd energies that I've seen in you know in a while. That's crazy because you've been to a lot of great fights as yeah. as you know I have too, and it's like you think of how big some of these fights are, and when you look across the card, it was a fight night. You know, not a not a numbered pay per view card. There was a couple good fights on it, a couple fights that were okay. One that we thought could have been decent between uh, the fight that got canceled. Uh, man, I'm I'm blanking on uh, on the fight, Conyo. The Raul Rosas and uh, Rosas and yes, that one that was going to be kind of an exciting fight. Rosas is a, an up and comer, somebody that you kind of want to see fight. And dude, just the energy was insane. So we're going to let you know everything you need to know from the important things that happen at this fight night. We start in a place that kind of makes me a little sad, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, we started the main event, Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Royval, and it feels to me. Danny, and I know this is your boy. I felt that one too. It feels to me like the window's closing on Brandon Moreno. Tell me why that's not the case. I'm I'm not ready to say that. I, I will acknowledge to you and to the listeners that Brandon Moreno did look different. Brandon Moreno did not look the same Brandon Moreno that we are used to. This was a fighter that usually moves forward, that puts on the pressure, puts on the pain, the damage tons of volume i mean just typical mexican fighter this time around backing up a ton almost every round he was backing up very low output and just kind of seemed like he lacked a little bit of life in there um I i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt because i think there were so many factors in play remember he was originally supposed to fight amir albasi for this card which mm -hmm. is a completely different opponent than brandon royval also you know, he was the biggest name in this card. He was carrying the promotion, lots of media, lots of interviews. Historically, he hasn't done well in Mexico. He He's never won in Mexico in the UFC, like in Mexico Crazy. City. Uh, he's got one tie and one loss. Now, one tie, two defeats. Um, what else? Um, yeah, I guess I can just make a million excuses for, for Moreno. I, 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 I acknowledge he did look different, but 
I'm, I would like to believe that this was sort of a flash in the pan, that this was sort of the exception. So we'll see in his next fight. That's going to be the big one, the big telling one. When you talk about him always push, pushing on the gas and like being the guy that goes out and, and attacks and is aggressive, when you look down at the stats, if you didn't watch the fight, you know who won by just looking at the stats. I mean, Roy Val, 556 total strikes. Yeah. Moreno had 219. Like, how can you win? And it wasn't like he had a ton of ground control. He had, what, three takedowns, I think. But he had, like, tw like 12 seconds of total ground control. Like, something crazy. Right. It was, yeah. it was nothing. Royval's super hard to hold down. But I will say also this, and, and it, it sounds like I'm making excuses in behalf of Moreno. But uh, <laughs> look, credit, credit to Royval. I judged the fight for Royval. Uh, and I watched it twice, both live and then after the fact mm -hmm. uh, on replay. And uh, I scored it 48-47, Royval, him picking up the last three rounds, and Moreno the first two. But there, there's something weird happened in the fifth. I don't know if you saw Herb Dean. Literally, Moreno would clinch him. Two seconds later, he would split them up. Mm -hmm. That, does, that's, that doesn't that's work. doesn't happen. It's, it's yeah. not the way it's supposed to happen. And Moreno right. was, you know, kneeing him to the leg, stomping him on the foot, trying to take the back. Like, he was working. He wasn't stalling. Uh, I do wonder if those two, three clinch I think it was like three or four, actually, those clinches that Moreno had on Royval, if they would have let them continued, I wonder if that fifth round would have been scored differently. Um, but again, at the end of the day, the right person won in terms of uh, Brandon Royval. He had the better performance, but I did think Moreno got a little bit screwed by the ref there at the end. Sure, but I think it was just a body of work thing, right? Like he, he the first... The first two rounds, I, I agree with you. Like we saw a little bit, okay, here it is. Like Brandon's starting to press it. And then those last three rounds, it was like, where is he? Where'd he go? Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, it, it's tough because obviously the Pantoja fight went the way that it did. Now this fight, you're kind of back to back where you're trying to find that Moreno of old. And it's like, what's, what's it going to be? Who's the opponent need to be for him to get back to that gold that we usually see from him? It's I'm, I'm, I'm worried. That's why I said, I don't know if the window's closing, but it feels like things are happening and there's other fighters in that flyweight division that now kind of have his number and are now kind of moving forward yeah he's just 30 years old so like technically he is in his athletic prime but the thing about brandon moreno for those that don't know and haven't followed his career the dude just has been in so many wars yeah. for the last like two or three years literally he had the fight of the year in 2023 yeah. uh solid candidate for 2022 i mean you just go down the list the last few years all his championship fights have been hell. So you just wonder if the damage is starting to catch up to him. I, I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll find out in the next one. Did you see this last? Uh, so obviously the fight went to split decision. We're going to pull up here and watch Brandon Royval. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't realize that his name is also Brandon. And he thinks he's losing the fight by split decision. Watch this. Ladies and gentlemen, after five rounds, we go to the judges scorecards for a decision. Mike Bell scores it. 48-47, Royval. Junichiro Camillo scores the contest. 49-46, Moreno. And Chris Lee scores it. 48-47 for the winner by split decision. Brandon so for those of you listening on audio, Bruce Buffer calls Brandon, right? They're both named Brandon. One's Brandon Royval, one's Brandon Moreno. And Brandon Royval gets his hand raised. 
He's throwing his hand up like, I can't believe I lost this by split decision. It takes him two seconds to realize, oh, shit. No, they called my name. I'm the winner. What a Bro. crazy. It's just, yeah. You can't make That's things like this. That's my reaction time in the mornings before my cup is <laughs> It's literally like two or three seconds before I realize like, oh, uh, things are I happen. won. Let's go. Yeah, it's so funny. So that was that was the uh, the main event, the co-main event of the fight night in Mexico City was the return of T City. Brandon or Brian Ortega against Yair Rodriguez, who we last saw against Volkanovsky, right? Mm-hmm. At UFC 290. That's the last time we saw Yair Rodriguez fight. And before that, he was looking excellent. Obviously, ran into Volkanovsky. We know the deal there. But it's been a while since he's fought. So we were very anticipatory on how is Yair going to look with this much layoff. We know he's a dynamic fighter. How's this going to go? And within... Not, we, we, do, we don't even get to the, the, the starting bell before something like this happens. And happened, we're going to have Brian Ortega talk up, about it. I looked up at my coach and he's like, don't you dare let it go to you. He goes, it doesn't matter. And I was like, yes, coach. Yes, coach. We're good. And then, but I'm not going to. Oh, I hate watching the video. The whole world saw. The whole world Someone saw him. soccer and has this regularly happen to them. <laughs> I cannot. I can't watch that video. It's tough to watch. The whole world. Can you put it back up and then put it on, on mute so we can just talk through it? The whole world saw him twist his ankle while Bruce Buffer is calling him out, pointing into his blue corner, Ortega jumps, lands on his ankle, twists it 35 seconds before the fight. That is his comeback fight after 19 months out of the octagon with a torn shoulder. He comes back and that's the first thing that happened. What was, did you see it live, Danny? Uh, So I didn't, but then I saw the tweets because, you know, in the media room, I'm like editing, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. So I'm right zoning in and out but um yeah then i saw it on twitter and i'm like oh shit and then it obviously explained uh, a lot of the first round where he was just like really scared to move around and clearly his ankle was compromised i mean ortega has some of the worst luck and even then he was able to survive a a tornado that jair rodriguez is the first Mm -hmm. round and then on the second and third you know he won the second and submitted in the third so props to ortega from uh for overcoming adversity Truly remarkable. He's a warrior, dude. And obviously, yeah. for those of you that don't know, he fought Yari Rodriguez, what, 21? Towards Two. the end of 21? 22? 22. July 22. Yeah. So he goes up for what I think was was a clinch, or he was trying to get out of a clinch or something. No, he, yeah, he put in an arm bar, and his shoulder just completely gave out. And then he, had, he already had a, a, a shoulder surgery on that same shoulder, so he had to do – a shoulder surgery on that one. And then throughout the process of getting ready, uh, getting good again, he injured the other shoulder <laughs> and had to get another surgery. So he had two surgeries and was out for 19 months. And then, you know, this happens. And then 30 seconds into the, into the uh, announcements, he gets, uh, he gets the ankle. But in that first round, he got popped and it was like, oh, wait a second. This is not good. He regains kind of his composure, goes after him, holds him down, like gets out of that first round, gets kind of a pretty nasty uh, bruise on his eye, and you're like, it's been it's been almost two years since he's fought. You know what I mean? Like this is kind of what we expect from somebody who's had that long of a layoff, and then all of a sudden that second round, he has ground control, he's throwing those elbows. All of a sudden, Rodriguez gets that cut underneath his eye, and yeah. you're like, that thing is deep. That's gonna start gushing, and it's gushing blood. And then all of a sudden, I want to play the video for you. Uh, I think it's Henry Gracie who's in his corner, right? Put up this video of 
Brian Ortega practicing that triangle arm choke in the back room. Listen to this. You guys are not going to believe what happened. This is the final minute of preparation for Brian's fight. We're in the locker room. He takes down his training partner, Sparks. Look at this. Lands in full mount, climbs the tree, hugs the neck, redirects the arm, and sets up the exact same arm triangle finish that he uses in the fight just minutes later. Look at that. Same dismount, tees off to the side, puts on his snake squeeze, and that's a wrap, you guys. Literally, the only thing we did after this is remind Brian about the lion and the gazelle before Paul led a short prayer and we walked out. I mean, how cool is that when you get to see somebody practicing mere minutes before they go out into the octagon, then use what they did in practice. And obviously, there's a reason they call him T-City, right? Mm -hmm. Use what he did in practice and actually do it in the octagon for a massive win in his division. Like that, it gives me goosebumps just watching stuff like that. Yeah, that's high level MMA right there for you. Like, you know, it's a lot of people think that this sport involves a, a good amount of luck and, and to a certain degree it does. But a lot of people just think like it's just a bunch of chaos and then whatever happens, happens. But clearly, as shown in that video, like the dude thought that that was a possibility and he he hit it. And and what are we what's next for for Yair? Man, this was such a bad night for Mexico because you had a two of the biggest stars losing in the main co-main. And then that co-main was huge because there was a ton of bad blood between Jair Rodriguez and Ilya Topuria, who is mm -hmm. the new champion at 145. Uh, that would have been Spain versus Mexico. It was getting heated. The styles are perfect. And then Brian Ortega goes in there and spoils the party. Um, I, I think Rodriguez can still get back there in, in terms of title contention, but it's certainly the path got a lot longer. I think he's going to win at least two more. Uh, before you know, we start talking about him fighting for a title again. So I don't know. Maybe maybe take on um, a Calvin Cater or, or really anybody in the top ten. Edson Barbosa. I think any of those fights would be great. A lot of good stuff coming up. UFC 299 in Miami. We'll both be in the building for that for one. Sure. Uh, that's what March 9th, mm -hmm. Saturday, March 9th, a couple weeks away. Next week, we'll have a preview, uh, previewing some of the cool stuff, a massive stacked card. We may have to go long on that one, by the way, Danny, for, for our MMA people. Like, 100%. That, that, that card is stacked. And I'm super excited to see Robeli de Pañe, Cuban guy, yep. the monster, sure. dude, the beast. Yep. Like, I'm, I'm that guy's jacked. He's like 6'8. Taekwondo guy can kick, he can head kick you at 6'8. Like, <laughs> He's incredible. Just like the most ridiculous Cuban you'll ever see in your life. Yes. Think and about Joel Romero, like five feet taller. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome. So we're going to have a 299 breakdown uh, and preview and all that good stuff coming up next week. But uh, keep it locked right here on the MMA Hangout. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. Folks, listen up. I want to talk to you about PXG and their new Black Ops driver. You no longer have to sacrifice distance for accuracy, for forgiveness. Folks, those days are done. You get both of those things with this new driver because I went to one of their PXG locations and I tested it out myself. And my boy Mike over there, if you're in Fort Lauderdale, you got to go to that location. He took care of me there. It was quick. It was efficient. By the time I got into my car, I had my email where my clubs were going to be sent. I have them now. It is a beautiful thing. What an experience. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough through in driver technology. It's complete, total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. It's adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000. I'm telling you, that is ridiculously high. You gotta check it out. The PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed as I was. Learn more and get free shipping on all the equipment at pxg.com slash Dan. Use code Dan at checkout. That's pxg.com slash Dan. Code Dan for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash Dan. Code Dan.
Oh my gosh. Folks, gather around. Everyone gather around. Listen to these words. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers, listen to me. You bet just five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code DAN. That's code DAN for new customers. And you get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. That's insane. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Don Lebatard. Pablo leads all of podcasting in reading while smiling. If you listen to ESPN Daily, he sounds like he's having the time of his life. Stugats. Coming up next, I'm going to tell you about the Savannah Bananas. Changing How do you know I'm Savannah Bananas? <laughs> how do you know I'm smiling? That's how I find my vocal range. Sometimes I just say, Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. Yeah. This is the Don Lebatar Show with the Stugats. Do you want to explain how we uh, yeah. came up with the subject of today's show? Well, we didn't come up with the subject of today's show. You, Every conversation that you have in your life, and I've complained about this before, you're just mining your friends and people in your life for content. I don't go into it necessarily yes, with the full clarity yes, that every conversation we have must be a show. Every conversation that you and I have becomes a show and if i can't be on it you just get somebody else to talk about it like you just you, you milk me and i am nervous when i'm talking to you like oh my gosh whenever i talk to pablo whatever i say is gonna like is he actually listening to me or is he taking notes i am definitely editing in my head while we're talking like oh that would be that could be c-seg for today's show so we hung out a couple weeks ago and we were eating and I feel like you're the one who sparked the thought in my mind. I don't know how we got to the story. I remember exactly how we got to the beginning of this. Right. Which is I asked if you remembered who Orlando Cabrera is. Baseball guy, shortstop. Yes. Really good defensive shortstop. Orlando Cabrera won a World Series, won two gold gloves. Smashed up the middle. Orlando Cabrera, great diving stop from his knee. Throws him out. <laughs> oh, a sensational play by Orlando Cabrera. Boy, it certainly was. He realized he had to get rid of it in a hurry, so he gets rid of it from the seat of his pants. Played for nine teams across 15 years in the major leagues. Um, and beyond being like a really good defensive gold glove shortstop, was also known for reading books, by the way. What are you reading now? Uh, I just finished... Uh, 100 Years of Solitude from uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. He's a guy from Colombia. Okay. So, you know, I, I like to be reading stuff all the time. Keeps your mind sharp. Yeah. Keeping the mind sharp, baby. I mean, it's your show. I'll, I'll let no, you grab this. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're both driving this together, Dominique. You're not leaving me alone in potential shame because I am fascinated by how Orlando Cabrera keeps his mind sharp and his hands soft. <laughs> Only one person can leave, Pablo. See, that might have been part of your problem. I keep on looking for a a partner in crime. <laughs> and Dominique, to his credit, was very interested in the revelation that I had found out 
about this shortstop, um, which is that first team Orlando Cabrera ever plays for is the Montreal Expos. And what I've learned is, this is multiple people now, this is journalism, is that before every game Orlando Cabrera played, Orlando Cabrera used to walk into this modest storage room off the clubhouse, uh, the Expos clubhouse, uh, inside Olympic Stadium, in solitude, actually, Gabriel Garcia Marquez style. And, uh, you know, he would, uh, he would, he would, he would make some moves from the seat of his pets. Have you gotten Orlando Cabrera to verify this? We are actively pursuing All Orlando right. Cabrera. Well, because I, I mean, I feel like we should be, we don't have to talk about it because the conversation doesn't have to be about Orlando Cabrera, but that is how we got into it. But I would feel bad spreading this if it's not something that is actually something that he's okay with owning up to or has, you know. I have a similar um, similar inclination. inclination, a pang of potential guilt. Yeah. But what I am told is that this is not a question. Oh. So I want to I want to I want to ask you though, uh, just as a as a former athlete, right? If you knew that one of your teammates was was you know, just repeatedly calling for an ISO, you know, was was uh perpetually celebrating Palm Sunday was yeah, was, was just taking a self-guided tour. Okay. You know? You empty? Or you got was it? having a one-some to get empty. What would you think? Have, have did, did this ever happen in your experience playing in the NFL? Um, I don't know. I mean, nothing that I knew of. I wouldn't have any... So the locker room is a very intimate place. So like guys would be very comfortable talking about all types of things and doing all types of things that you wouldn't be comfortable with in other situations. When you go on road trips, particularly locker rooms are very small. Sometimes the stalls don't have doors on them and stuff. And like, yeah, people are comfortable doing the things that they have to do. Uh, no one's ever done been that damn comfortable. I, I, I don't know that anyone does it or doesn't. Like, guys had sex night before games and stuff like that, for sure. And no one cared. But, yeah, it's not... It never really came up. It's natural. It's a thing that everyone likes to do. I mentioned to Pablo that I had a running joke with one of my friends is that there should be, before you make any major decisions, you should go ahead and get yourself to that state of mind where you are the, the clearest. And now for the men who are listening to this show, they know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know if women feel the same way, but it's, it's, there's this feeling where you just see the world more clearly. And historically in sports, we've always heard that you should not have sex close to a game like it or close to any competition. It's like an old boxing thing. It's yes. It's an ancient tradition. It's in movies. Yeah. I mean, you'll only have to go as far as Rocky to find the exact opposite of uh, Cabrera-ism, let's call it. Women weaken legs. Yeah, but I really like this girl, you know? But let her train you! Okay, no more fooling around. Okay, I hit it. Women weaken legs, huh? I believe that in boxing, an interesting thing has been happening for centuries where even like, I, I remember talking to like the best boxing trainer in the world, who is Freddie Roach. He's coached more world champions than anybody, I believe. It was ahead of Mayweather Pacquiao, that fight. And abstinence, it's a genuine coaching philosophy that he has for his fighters. And he talked about just how much he asks of them when we're 
when it regards um, their discipline. I asked my fighters for 10 days. I mean, when I was a fighter, it was six weeks, okay? Uh, but the thing is, I said no sex for 10 days. It'll be just for discipline, all right? And like the new age guys, right? Like the influencers, what's crazy about the influencer boxers like Jake Paul is that they, you'd think like, ah, oh, they're not obeying these folk ways. They've done the same thing. Like Jake Paul's coach, I was doing my research for this. Um, <laughs> And I, I have been. It's extensive. I pulled Google Doc. Um, they say how much worse Jake Paul is after he has sex before sparring. My coach, BJ, will be like, did you have sex last night? It, it, you can tell without me even saying anything. He's just slower. He's not as good. He's not as quick. He's not as, as fierce. He's not as aggressive. It's, just, it's obvious to a guy who's been around boxing for, you know, I'm 42. I've been around boxing for, you know, 33 years. So I see it very quickly. And ancient warriors, they deprive themselves and they sacrifice certain things before they go to battle. I, I don't know the exact demographics of the Pablo Torre Finds Out audience. I do know that it's not all dudes. I do want to acknowledge how how unbelievably um, dudish <laughs> my curiosity was at the start. And so I do feel like it's worth noting that in repudiation of this ancient tradition of warriors in battle um, is someone like Ronda Rousey. You know, MMA fighter yep. was a huge deal at one point. I want to point out that she believes this. Traditionally in sports, there is a theory that you don't have sex leading up to a contest. Mm -hmm. Football, basketball, baseball, save your energy. You buy into that? Well, my, my godfather is a doctor. And he told me that with men, it does temporarily lower your testosterone, but for women, it raises it. And so it's actually good for you before competition. And so I was like, good to know. <laughs> and plus, you're so stressed out, and it's a lot of anxiety, you know, leading up to a fight. So, you know, it helps. I find it helps. The fact that there's this active debate about, like, is this a competitive advantage, Dominique? Is where this becomes a sports story to me. All of this, to me, is about performance and performance enhancement. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me for us to try to figure out the best ways. And there's nothing, I think, that we feel that uh, controls us more than like yes. how you behave in those times and how it impacts the way that you think and, and operate. Right. I mean, we can ostensibly control ourselves. Right. Like we began. Is there another like bodily functions the wrong Looking for word. another masturbation euphemism no 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 i'm definitely i've had more than enough of that i hate that about this episode but i do think that i am looking for another like human experience that feels more like all-encompassing like even eating doesn't feel like that and that seems very core like there's nothing else i think that you feel like your whole body is like sort of like drugs. Like it's nothing else that right. feels like your whole body is involved. So like, yeah, it's going to affect the way that you do anything. Yeah, well, th I think that's the point, right? So like underneath all of this, and yes, I'm going to very awkwardly navigate, grope through the fog of this conversation. No more puns. I want to make a case for this concept. So we're walking around and we're thinking about Orlando Cabrera. And we both have that instinct, I think, to try and understand as opposed to humiliate someone. Yeah, right. And so the case for him led us to this concept. And the concept is one that both of us knew immediately. It's something we've talked about previously, if we're being frank with our audience. But do you remember where you first heard the term? 
Because I actually don't remember where I first saw it originate. You want me to say post-nut clarity? I just wanted to get us both on the record. Okay. Like post-nut clarity is a, it feels like a phenomenon because there is nothing else quite like it. It's like reverse Hulk. (laughs) And it's like, it's different for different men, I think probably, but you walk around much of your life feeling like the Hulk. But you know what? Sometimes you need Bruce Banner. You need the mild-mannered scientist to come out and help guide you through some tough decisions and situations. And I think some men can relate that the worst decisions that you have made have been because you were acting like the Hulk. And not every situation requires Hulk smash. Some situations require Bruce Think. I want to get to the origins of this because post-nut clarity is one of those terms that's just been sort of like hanging out in the back of our heads, so to speak. Um, and conventionally, it got attributed to, uh, I don't listen to this podcast. I wonder if you've ever heard of it. Call her daddy. Yeah, I've heard of it. The post-nut clarity. The post We've talked about clarity. this. The post-nut clarity is a real f***ing thing. It's after a guy comes yep. and his entire life flashes before his eyes. Everything becomes crystal clear, 2020 vision, yeah. and he's just like, wow. And Drake. Drake, the rapper? When Drake is rapping, post-nut clarity, I came to my senses. This is him, I believe, coming to grips with the man that he just was. Lil Wayne is in that category too. He basically says the same thing. I like the um, the philosophers that you are consulting on this. That's right. Drake and Wheezy, the whole cash money crew. What does baby got to say? A slim? <laughs> what does slim say about, about this? I don't know. Juvie? Unfortunately, baby. what I have here is, uh, is a different rapper named Uno Deuce One who wrote an entire song dedicated to this concept. And I got nut on my chest, embarrassing. I said, what? Please don't stare at me. That's that post-nut clarity. Think about world hunger and organized religion. Also good parenting. Wow. There's more of that for the I, record. I mean, I'm disappointed that you did prep me and I couldn't listen to that beforehand because <laughs> like he went so many different places. Yes. And landed at good parenting. Right. Which is like... Which is where increasingly I am regretfully reporting that I also land. Yeah. You sort of like stop and you are hit with not just the tasks that you have to do on your to-do list, but also like the things that really matter to you in the clarity. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I need to, I I should probably make some changes in my life. Yeah. This sort of stew of self-consciousness, right? If not shame, but just self, immediate, sudden onset, what feels like self-awareness, right? Because for me, it's not, Drake, it's not, it's not Lil Wayne, it's not um, Uno Deuce One. Um, it 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 feels like Les Miserables. What are you familiar with Les Mis? Oh my gosh, what are you? Lots doing? of pe- I'm just saying, lots of people think Les Mis? Lots of people think that in Les Miserables, Jean Valjean is singing about like the Paris uprising of uh, 1832. I believe he's singing about what it feels like to look at your browser window right after you finished. How can I ever face myself again is a feeling that I have felt post-nut. Oh, gosh. I think I got to the bottom of this whole thing. 
where we started with the with the playlist. <laughs> this might be an off camera conversation. I don't because what you don't think musicals made their way into uh, most people's sexmusic.tumblr.com rotation. Maybe people wasn't looking for Les Miserables. Maybe people was looking. I don't follow. Okay, it's possible that people you know wanted somebody who was listening to stuff about guns and drugs. So you clearly haven't seen Les Miserables then, because there are a lot of guns. It's, stop it, Pablo. Stop it. You know what I mean. <laughs> I, and, yes. It, 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 in everything that I, that I do, I hope it's clear that I've never seen Les Miserables. <laughs> Particularly that. I would like it to be known. I want to leave having that be... I don't want it to come up. Like the whole date, whatever we're doing, I don't want Les Miserables to come up. But immediately after, while I'm in in, um, in clarity, I want her to be like, oh, I bet this motherfucker ain't never seen Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.